0: Father, we come before you as we do every week, and we give you thanks for your grace that you extend to us, the unmerited favor, and for your mercy that you provide, not judging us according to our sins. We thank you for the sacrifice of your Son. We remember him when we receive communion, but at this moment, Lord, we had asked that you would teach us, as we ask again every Sunday, that you would enlighten us as to what your word says Show us your purpose for us, how we are to believe, and ultimately how we are to act. Help us be those disciples that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, three weeks ago, we started the book of 1 John. And in chapter 1, there were several things that I pointed out there. But beginning in my introduction last time, we find the reason for this book being written and they are in, and you can write these down uh, as soon as I get my little tablet to work right here. Excuse me, it just did something on me that I don't like. I've got to figure out what's going on here. It did something that I've never done before. Hold on. See what it did? I can't even read that with glasses. Hold on. There we go. Okay, I'm ready. This idea, the purpose of the book that was given to us is in 1 John chapter 1, verse 4. That we may have joy or that our joy may be complete or our joy, referring to the apostles with all of those who are in the church that is being written. And also that we might have fellowship, 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, and also that we might know Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and know that we have eternal life. That is the purpose of the book, that you would have joy, that you would have fellowship, and that you would be able to know that you have salvation. Now, as I was going through 1 John, I decided to write down all the ways that you can know that you are saved or warnings to know if you are not saved. And I have my little scratch pad here, and I'll eventually go through the list. It's on two sides over here. There are 27 ways that I counted in there that you can know that you are saved. You ever have that question? You ever say, am I really saved? Have you ever asked that of yourself? I know that I do. uh, On a not a semi-regular basis, I used to do it a whole lot. Like, I can't get this right, God. Why can't I get this right? You know, my anger flares up and my anger shouldn't flare up. And I just can't seem to get in the groove. With these 27 things here, no one is going to pass the 27. If I gave you a test and say, okay, if you can pass each one of these, you are truly saved. And if you fail to do any one of these, it says if you don't do them, you're not saved. If you pass that test too, great, you're going to be safe. I'm sorry, you're going to blow it on some. For instance, have you ever said in your entire life, I hate this person? Have you ever said that when you're a Christian? I hate that guy or i hate that one well scripture says that if you hate your brother the love of god is not in you and therefore you are not saved now if you've ever said that does that mean well i'm really not saved well first you do a heart check but chances are you recognize your sinfulness and you turn from that but god wants you to know that you are truly saved and that you can have fellowship and here john was pointing out Fellowship with them but also with the son and with the father and he gives this proclamation in John chapter 1 going through verses 1 and 3. He says the word three times or writes it I proclaim or this we proclaim to you that we have heard we have seen we have touched and we testify to that which was in the beginning. And of course, I mentioned to you before that he was referring to the book of Genesis because that's where you go to the first mention of in the beginning. So Jesus was that person that was there in the beginning and John is saying, we testify to him. We have seen him, we have touched him, we have heard him. And we want you to have this message. And he's filled with joy and he wants to communicate that joy to everyone else. Now joy, as I pointed out before, is contingent on fellowship in verse 4 here in chapter 1 it says we write this to make our joy complete this is a message we have heard from him and declare to you God is light and in him there is no darkness of, at all if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness we lie and do not live by the truth in other words if we claim to have fellowship yet walk in an intellectual and spiritual darkness we are lying we are not telling the truth that means if you in your action as well if your action depicts you as somebody of the world, are, are you the best partier that all your friends know? Are you the one, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Are you the one that goes to a Charger game? The Charger games are great. If you go to a Charger game and you are the guy who is all painted up and you don't have a shirt on and you have lightning bolts going across your pectoral muscles all the way down, And there's a lightning bolt here and a lightning bolt here. And you have one of those hats with the two cups on the side with straws that come down. You know what I'm talking about, right? If somebody looks at you and says, you are the ultimate partier, would you do that in church? Probably not, right? Maybe during worship you might be a little more vocal than normal. But if people know you as the party monster, well, you're probably not a disciple monster. In a good way. You understand? And so God says if you're walking in darkness, and that's the intellectual side, that's the emotional side, that's the action side, all of that, if you're in the realm of darkness... You're really not saved. And that's one of the warnings that he delivers here. And we're supposed to pay attention to that. And, of course, if we're not like that, then we have assurance that we are saved. He says in verse 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. His word has no place in our lives. So he's simply declaring that there is this thing called sin. The world would like to forget that there is sin. The world would like to forget that there is any kind of morality and matter of fact they would reverse that whatever the good is they would call evil and whatever the evil is they would call good and they would make up their own standard for ethics and as i've told you before morality is a sense of what right and wrong is as far as god is concerned but ethics are what right and wrong are according to society society and their values are completely different especially in this day and age with what God's morality is and the two shall never meet they will keep on drifting farther and farther apart and of course I think we have all witnessed that in the last few years we see the separation of morality and ethics now God calls us to be moral and if we are moral he will give us direction on how we're to act ethically how we're to operate inside of society and there, if you walk into any classroom today, and I've been in a couple of cra- classrooms over the years, especially when my girls were in high school, we'd go there, and there would be these moral attributes that would be on the wall. And they would say things like, honesty. Well, being honest, not telling a lie, is a moral attribute. But they would have these honesty and integrity and perseverance, and they'd put all those things up on the walls in the classroom But if you don't have God as the basis for doing that, it doesn't apply. If you just say it because you want it to be so, well, what if you have a bunch of people who don't want it to be so? Then they won't. They won't have that as part of their repertoire of how they're supposed to act. They will just do whatever they want to do. And that's, again, the way our society is going. Now... We know that we must walk in the light. We must admit our sins and confess them. We must walk in obedience to his commands as we will see. And we must love one another. 1 John chapter 2 says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So he's writing to believers. And as he writes to these believers, he says... I'm writing you this so that you will not sin. Sin in which areas? In the areas I just declared to you, if you know if you're saved or not. Are you walking in the light? If you're not walking in the light, you need to walk in the light and therefore not sin. And so he wants to deliver this instruction to them. And then when he says we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, one who speaks in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So whenever we sin, Jesus is interceding for us. Now, if anybody in here says, I am without sin, you are without sin, that is a lie. We are not without sin. And I know that there are people out there on the radio who would say, once you ask for forgiveness of your sins, you never need to ask again. I do not believe that. I believe that Paul said he is, in the present tense, the chief of sinners, not that he was the chief of sinners he says in Romans 7 the things he wants to do are not the things that he does and the things he doesn't want to do those are the very things that he does would God have you be sarcastic and pointing your finger in the face of people around you and I've told you this before Paul was extremely sarcastic and I pointed out how in the book of Amos God was sarcastic maybe there's a time for that but for the most part we're to live at peace and if we're not living at peace are we sinning if we're looking after our own needs and our own cares and our own desires and we're opposing those who are around us rather than giving in to them as god would most of the time say if it wasn't a debatable subject well see that's that's how we're supposed to act that's how we know that we're saved that's how we're supposed to examine ourselves according to the scripture in verse two it says if we do sin we have this atoning sacrifice for our sins it says jesus is the Atoning sacrifice for our sins. And the word here in the King James, does anybody have a King James? What is the word that's used there? Propitiation. Now that's a big word. Uh, propitiation means, and what they would have understood it to mean back then is they would have had a God Saturn. God Saturn. And I think God Saturn was the God of agriculture, if I'm not mistaken. I'd have to go back and look up my Greek gods. But they would bring an offering to the God of Saturn, or God Saturn, to appease him so he would show favor and he wouldn't be angry. And so they would understand this idea of propitiation. If we did that today, it's like bringing a sacrifice. So, God, don't be angry with me. Please, here, receive this offering and I'll give you some money in the church, okay? And hopefully you won't be angry with me. That, that idea, the propitiation, Jesus was the one who satisfied the Father and his requirement. We cannot bring anything to God and say, will you now be satisfied with me that I've brought you these herbs? I've tithed off of my mint dill cumin and cinnamon and cloves and everything that's in my spice rack. I bring it to the church. That's Old Testament stuff. God is not pleased with us if we bring something or don't bring something. He wants our heart. That's what he wants. He doesn't want your sacrifice. The sacrifice, he says, is not something that he desires. He wants you. And so if you think you can go out there and just perform an act, and you look at God like, are you pleased now? I've done this. Well, he's happy when we're good disciples, but that's not why he's happy. He's happy because we have asked him to help us, right? We've asked him to be our Lord and Savior. And remember, that is religion. That is our attempt to reach God. And God says, can't do it. God says, this is my sacrifice to reach you. And so if we're always working to please God, if we just abide in the vine, you know, in the book of John, same author, if we just abide in the vine, we'll be pleasing because we produce fruit. Now, just to bring this down to the road level again. What do you mean, abide in the vine? What, what are you talking about? And of course, he's using an agrarian uh, illustration here. Now, to explain this a little bit, this last week, I planted 23 grapevines. Terraced a hill, put the poles in, and this one client that I work for, he wants some chardonnay, he wants some Concord grapes, he wants some Thompson seedless, he wants some Merlot grapes, and he wants to be a little chemist and mix all these up and make his own wine, this Vintner thing. And so I planted all of these vines, and I was looking at the vines, the different type of grape vines that are there, and examining them and remembering that John wrote to us, if you abide in the vine and my word abides in you, you will bear much fruit. And some of these vines had little bitty grape bunches on them, little small ones, and they're just... All they were doing was sitting in this flat. They were just in this flat, and they, they weren't waving and striving to produce the grapes. They were simply sitting there, is what they were doing. And they didn't say, Pick me up and put me in the ground. They didn't say that. I picked them up, and I put them in the ground. And I watered them, and after a couple of days, I looked at them, and they're just like... Have you ever seen the slow motion pictures of leaves coming out where they, they, you know, they kind of go like that? They're just kind of reaching for the sun. Well, and I could tell the leaves changed a little bit and they're getting a little bit bigger and it was just simply abiding in the dirt is what it was doing. And they're producing the fruit. And he's going to have this little crop of grapes that's up there and he's going to have so many grapes he's not going to know what to do with it. And he doesn't have to do anything. He doesn't have to go up there and convince them. Look, you need to get on the stick here, so to speak. You need to produce those bunches of grapes. And, you know, I want to carry bushels out of here. Well, he doesn't have to convince them. They're going to do it simply by abiding. Simply by hanging out. And that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to hang out. Now, a little more closer... Two. That's a uh, highly technical English right there. A little more closer to the asphalt, right? A little more where the rubber meets the road. What does it mean to abide? When I made the announcement on Easter that uh, if you'd like it to be a disciple, if you'd like to get on the road, great. That's what I desire for you. That's what God desires for you. And the first thing that I told the people, there are currently three people who are interested in that, I said, go to Home Fellowship. That's the first thing you need to do. Go to a home fellowship. I don't care which home fellowship you go to. If you want to come to the one on Thursday, great. If you want to come to the, uh, either one on Monday, that's great. But you've got to go. If you're not going, you're not growing. That's the point of the home fellowship. And you might say, well, I just like to read the Bible by myself. Well, that's fine. Why? Let me ask you, 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 most of you should know this. Why did God provide pastors and teachers? Anyone? I almost heard. What? Equip the, equip the saints. That's right. Can you equip yourself? If you go to Toys R Us and you buy that little shield, helmet, the sword, you know, that they have for kids, and you put that on, are you a soldier? No,, <laughs> Yo, you are no, you're, you're not a soldier. they're plastic, and you stick them on, and maybe they're not on quite right. You do that for little kids, and I'm a soldier today, and they go out there with the sword and they think they're just going to cut things up, you know, and they, they play swords. Now, I don't know if this is still available, but Eric, Eric and Johnny, Eric and Johnny, I saw this video. I saw this video at uh, Eric's house. They like swords. And they were having a sword fight. Now, Johnny's in the military, right? (laughs) In this video, I'm watching. It's in their backyard. Eric, first he's uh, battling, I think, his brother, right? like a family friend. A family friend. They pulled out the... And these swords are like three feet long. And they're plastic swords, right? Heart foam. And Eric is just annihilating. You know, it's kind of he's just like this and turning away. And the other guy, he was he was all right. But then Johnny steps in there and Johnny starts wielding this thing, and Eric's going, No and he's cowering down. You know, this idea of using these swords. Johnny being in the military, you know, has some training. He can kill you with his bare hands, you know, that type of thing. Eric's like, I want to be like that. But Johnny could do that. This guy's a soldier, right? And so... The same thing applies to you. Just because you want to be something, you have to work at it. You have to go through boot camp. It's the rubber meets the road type of thing. You have to apply yourself. You have to abide in the vine. It's not just, well, I'll just be in the Word and everything will be sufficient. No, you have to be able to ask questions. You have to be able to digest the information yourself. That's why they have teachers in school. They send the kids home, read the book, come back, what would you learn? and the teacher instructs them properly, gives them all kinds of math questions, right? And they put all the formulas up there, and then you're supposed to go home and practice it. And then you come back and the teacher tests you to make sure you're able to understand and perform the task in math class. Same thing with geometry, same thing with biology, same thing with botany, all the sciences. You have to be tested. If you're not tested, you're not proficient. In order to be proficient. You have to go to home fellowship. You have to just get this stuff by osmosis, if nothing else. Now, some of the studies that we have here, we don't give out questions. Some we do give out questions for. I know that the women's study, you guys have questions. You guys have big questions. I mean, you guys, every day, right? It's questions for the women's study. And you ladies are growing, you know? And the guys we have, the uh, morning fellowship on Saturdays too, look, If you're not going to go to home fellowship, go to a men's. Go to a women's. Go to something. If you are consistent and just going, you are simply abiding. Nobody has to convince you. You're just going to go, oh, that makes sense. When scripture is read and questions are answered, you're just going to go, okay, I get it. I understand. And you are naturally going to mature. But you won't see the process right at the time that you're growing. You know, it's kind of like as we get older, those of us who are older in here, Don't you remember that being 15 years old was just yesterday? It was just, what happened? I got old so quick. How did I get old so quick? It's because we grew up. Well, the same thing happens as you're a believer. If you just abide in the vine, if you just do what God asks you to do, you will just grow and one day you'll find yourself like there. And you'll be doing what God wants you to do. So you must abide in the vine. That's what God calls us to do. Now, the satisfaction, digressing here, the satisfaction that God required for us was Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. It was an expiation. It was a propitiation. It was an atonement. It was a price that was paid for our sins to be washed away and made white as snow. Now, going on, verse 3 It tells us here that we must walk in obedience. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Now, this is the struggle of all times. If God says, don't, what do you want to do? (laughs) I don't even have to tell you, right? If the sign says 55 miles an hour, what do you say? 56, 8, 9, 70... You know, you just, you don't care. And when the officer pulls you over like he's pulled me over before, you say, what? He goes, do you know what you were pulled over for? And you go, "Uh, no. He goes, do you know how fast you were going? "Uh, No. And he tells you how fast you were going. And he goes, I'm going to issue you a citation. I just remembered. I need to, next time, if that happens to me, of course, it'll never happen because I have a halo. But this idea of if it ever happens to me again, I'm going to say, will you please have mercy on me today? Because I know the scripture says, to those whom you show mercy, you will be given mercy. And I, of course, I could give him that verse as well, you know, but I'm just going to ask. But this, this idea of doing what is right, it goes so against our flesh. Our flesh wants to do what it wants to do. And he says, if we have come to know him, we will keep his commands. Now, the commands start with the Ten Commandments, Right? Now, Tom used to pass out these little coins for the kids. He even came up to me one day and he goes, Can you give me the Ten Commandments in order? Do you want your coin? And I, yeah, yeah, Okay, I'll give it my best shot. And so, if you are growing in the Lord, if you are acquiring knowledge, one of the first things you need to acquire is the Ten Commandments. And all of those commandments are summed up in two commandments. And so, if we just remember that, we will start growing. And if we apply that in every aspect of our lives, we will be keeping his command to love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. That's what he calls us to do, keeping his commands. Verse 4, the man who says, I know him but does not do what he commands, is a liar and the truth is not in him. Now this is one of those things I'll ask you. Have you ever broken one of the Ten Commandments? What do you call yourself? A liar that's what scripture said right so are you saved some of you are not sure it's this i see that's what he says examine this if you know that you have sinned we have an advocate with the father which is jesus christ the one who is our atoning sacrifice and so we turn to him and say father i have sinned forgive me and he is a god of mercy And he extends to us his mercy. It's that recognition that we have broken his commands. And one of his commands is, if you sin, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we're supposed to confess. That's how it all works. Now, John repeats this in chapter 14 of the Gospel of John, in chapter 15. He says in verse 21 of chapter 14, whoever has my commands and obeys them... He is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love him and show him or show myself to him in John chapter 15 verse 10. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be complete. And so you can tell how in 1 John, the little epistle, how it matches with the gospel of John. It's the same phraseology that's showing up. Verse 7. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have heard since the beginning. This old command is a message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. It has In this new command, what he means here is it's not lost its freshness. That's the best way to translate this. This command that you already have is not gone stale. Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. And so if you are filled with this hate, this rage towards somebody, this anger, God says, you cannot be a believer and have this changed life and still hate somebody. He says, this is impossible. This is not true. And I I think that we fall into this trap often where we will judge those who are around us we will have bad thoughts. And we will even communicate those thoughts that we have in our heart with others who are around us. And we get involved in gossip and mur- murmuring and complaining. If you are involved in those three things, you are showing that you do not love your brother and that you actually hate them. And I, actually, I think that's one of the worst sins in the Bible is murmuring, arguing, complaining and gossiping those things if you put that in a nutshell imagine how good the world would be if we didn't have those things the sins associated with the tongue if we command the tongue if we have mastered that book of james says we have become perfect and so those are the areas that we need to really work on but he says if you hate your brother then the love of god is not in you verse 12 I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one.' Is this passage a little confusing? Why does he keep saying, I write to you young men, I write write to you fathers, I write to you children? It's kind of like it's lost in translation. You don't really understand what he's saying here unless you look up the words, specifically the words for children, fathers, and young men. If you look that up, you kind of get an idea of what has taken place. There's four different words that are used here. And I'll try to pronounce them in the Greek. It's technia, paideia, neaneskoi, and pateras. And what it does, it goes from an infant to a toddler to a young man to a father. And he's talking about growing up in the faith, and he gives different reasons for writing to each one of them. And he starts out with the infant. Now, an infant usually is the one who starts becoming self aware. When a baby is just born, the baby is not self aware. The baby is just alive. Now, when it opens its eyes and it smiles at you, do you think it's going, I'm alive? You think that's what the baby's saying? No, the baby is not saying that. That brain is a blank slate, there is nothing in there except for the the auditory impulses that will eventually come where he can learn the things that the heart's beating. It's just on auto. There's nothing in that brain. And so you are responsible for putting things in that brain. But then the baby, when it is still an infant, I look at, um, Marty's baby, Brenda's grandson. Grayson. What's his name? Grayson. Grayson. I, she posts videos of him on, um, Facebook. Lots of videos. <laughs> she posts those videos and you know she's a young mother she's just thrilled as she can be and the baby at first when she was posting pictures and things the baby is just this blob right and occasionally the baby would move and cry and you'd think the baby was smiling right at that age It doesn't even know what smiling is. You guys know when a baby starts to laugh for the first time. I mean, first time it starts to laugh when you do something, something silly, and then you get that little baby laugh and the the baby laugh won't stop you keep on doing the same thing and the baby just takes off again laughing and you'd like it so much that you keep on doing it to get the baby to laugh and the baby will laugh for probably a minute, you know, every time you do something. That's when the baby becomes aware. That's one of the times the baby becomes aware like laughing is good. It feels good. I want to do this more. And whatever the impetus was, whatever the uh, the trigger For that laughing was, every time it shows up, the baby has a natural reaction and said, this is good, I'm going to laugh some more. And it's learning. And also, when mommy shows up, when the baby recognizes mommy, that's a time where the baby starts becoming self-aware. When the baby is just a week old, mommy is not a concept. It's just food. I need food, and you happen to be supplying it and so that's good. I like that. But then there comes a time where the baby recognizes the mother. I think that's a great time. And then the baby actually has a reaction. The baby smiles. And all four appendages go at one time, right? They all, they all just start moving. And so he's talking to the infants in the faith. Now, what would be an infant in the faith? Somebody who just walked forward and accepted Christ. Most of the time you would talk to them and you'd say, so why did you come forward? And they go, I don't know and if they do know they go i think to get saved to go to heaven that's about all she wrote for most people who come to the lord if they haven't been schooled in the religion of christianity and so he's talking to those people and he wants them to have their joy complete and wants them to mature then he's talking to the young children the toddlers the little running around kids the ones that you have to corral uh, it's like when somebody gets a little bit of knowledge in Christendom, sometimes you have just enough knowledge to make you really dangerous. Like, for instance, you have knowledge that cookies are good. You don't have knowledge that getting on a chair and on top of the counter to get the cookies is bad because you can fall over. All you know is you want the cookies. And so there are Christians like that. They get a little bit of doctrine under their belt, and they are probably going to hurt themselves or those who are around them, right? Right? That takes place all the time. You see two little toddlers next to each other. What do they do? It's kind of like the seagulls in Finding Nemo. What do they say? Yeah, you guys know what they do. And so there's, there's arguing, there's fighting between them, you know, and sometimes they get along. But most times you put a couple toddlers together, especially two boys, the next thing that's going to happen is something is going to be thrown Somebody is going to be slapped. Somebody is going to be pushed. That's what's going to happen. And so he's writing to those individuals inside the church as well. And then there's the young men. So who are the young men? They're the ones that do the work of ministry. They're the ones that are young. They're strong. They have a basic concept of the Christian faith. They kind of know what's going, going on. They are aware of damnation and judgment to come they are aware of heaven and paradise which awaits us and they are active they say okay i'm gonna do this or i'm gonna do that they bear the weight of the church and then you have the fathers who are the fathers the fathers are the ones that have the spiritual knowledge they've been walking with the lord for decades they're the ones that provide the insight they have weathered the storm (coughs) excuse me Excuse me. They have weathered the storms, and they will have an impact on not only the infants, but they will have an impact on the toddlers and the young men and the young women that are inside the body of Christ. Now, as we get to the close of the service here, there's a lot in this. I would ask you, which one are you? Are you an infant? Are you a toddler? are you the young man or are you the fatherly sage type or even the uh, motherly sage, the matriarch that will provide young women insight on how to love their husbands? Which one are you? I will digress. If you are not or have not been for the majority of your Christian walk going to a Bible study or a home fellowship or being in the Word, having devotions, you are not... A fatherly or a motherly figure that has all this knowledge you may have the time but you don't have the insight you are not controlled by what the Lord says you're not become fully mature and you might say well I'm maybe in the young men category the the young women as well who carry the weight of the church who can do a lot more than anybody else are you one that says no I don't want to do that or are you one that says, whatever God wants me to do, that's what I'll do. That's the young men. Uh, most people in the church, it has been my experience over being a Christian since 1979, there is a group of people that will say, yes, I go to church every Sunday. I even occasionally go to home fellowship. I kind of like that. As far as the Bible study is concerned, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. That's a little more commitment that's there. Don't ask me to do too much after all. You know, come on. How much can one person do? I mean, I got other commitments here. I mean, don't... You know what I'm talking about. Hey, get away from me. Don't ask me again. We've had people do that. Uh, there was a time here at the church where I would instruct some of the guys. I'd say, just go around and find out who's going to home fellowship and invite them. And I said, you keep on inviting them until they tell you, stop inviting me. We had people say, stop inviting me okay we're going to stop inviting you now why would i do that because god wants us to be disciples he wants us to grow up in the faith or maybe you're like a toddler maybe you have just enough info in you that you're wreaking havoc that that you decide well i don't like this and you go and you complain to somebody about it and then well, yeah i don't like that either and then it just kind of grows and it goes through the church. And then somebody has to step in with a little maturity. What do you do to a toddler that's acting up? Spare, them. Or talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> Spare the rod, spoil the child, you know, that type of thing. There's admonishment, there's instruction, there's rebuke, all of those things. That's what Scripture says. If somebody ever comes to you and you have to be admonished for what you're doing, You're probably not a young man or a young woman. Now, why am I telling you all this? To send you out of here under a cloud like, woe is me. I have not arrived yet. No, it's like, let's make your joy complete. Get to the point where you are a sagely parent, where you are the one that provides insight for the body of Christ. And there are young people, young people that have tremendous insight, and they fit that category. But to do nothing, that... That's like a scourge on the body of Christ. And I'm not talking about I'm signing you up to do something. It's whatever the Lord wants you to do. Just ask Him. You know, just seek after Him. Say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Now, some people say, I'm not going to ask that. Well, why not? Because He might tell me what He wants me to do. And then I'd have to go and... Well, yeah, that's the point. The point is to be submissive to God in whatever he wants. That's the idea of growing in maturity. This is what John is talking about. Go from infancy to toddler to young man to sage. How long does that take? Your your whole life. It takes your whole life. But how quickly will you mature? That depends on you. If you languish in the seventh grade, remember the seventh grade? For my existence the seventh grade was not good striped flared pants big collars outgrowing your shoes you know all of that stuff is just an awkward phase your face is bigger than the rest of your body you know yeah it's just not good you may be stuck in middle school and i wouldn't wish that on anybody i wish for you just like god does just like john the apostle is talking here move on from infancy to maturity let's pray father we thank you for your word and how John delivers this to us instructing us to move on to the next step to give ourselves completely to you and Lord may there be nobody in here that would be under a cloud of condemnation but may they understand that you have set this all up for us that we may fully mature that we may experience the benefit in this life as well as gain knowledge and insight for the next we ask lord if we have been complacent any one of us including myself lord in here help us not to be help us not to be apathetic help us to be sensitive to what you would have us do how you would have us act out love towards one another we thank you for your word and we thank you for the instruction and the growth that it brings in jesus name And everyone said,